Hello and welcome to the 212 podcast. We are a podcast that talks to people in the entertainment, arts and events industry. They give us the lowdown into their favourite parts about it. Our guest on the podcast this week is a two for the price of one. The peanut butter to jelly, the cheese with chives and hangover after a massive night on the town. We have two independent artists who have come together to form a partnership of magnitude. One has over 7 million views on some of his tracks on YouTube currently, and the other is a Grammy award-winning producer who has produced albums for TLC and Boys to Men. The stage is set. Please welcome Dallas Austin and Corey Enemy, better known as Dalco. How are you and where are you today? I'm great, man. I'm, in, I'm actually in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm doing good. Everything's great. I'm in LA. It's hot. It's like 100 and something degrees right now. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as warm over there where you are, I'm assuming, Dallas. It's a little, it's a little gray and rainy. It's been more like the UK. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now you both uh, had individual success in your respective locations, but I, I kind of, I wondered, where did you grow up, Corey, and and how did music influence you growing up? I, I grew up in California, actually, in Southern California, but I grew up in a really small desert town called Ridgecrest, pretty secluded from from everything from most culture. It had its own kind of culture out there, but it, it was very, very different. So, you know, I didn't have a lot of exposure to, to new music when I was growing up, but that there's a radio station in Los Angeles called KCRW. It's Santa Monica, Santa Monica community radio station. It's a listener supported and they do a lot of like cool indie music and electronic music and world music. And they've been around forever. And I remember when I was in high school, they had finally built like a, a tower so that we could get that station out where I was living. And that was kind of like my first exposure to a lot of like new, interesting music, world music, electronic music kind of just opened my eyes to things. That would have been so exciting when that went up. Did you have to kind of go from your location where you are into like a bigger city? Yeah, we were like three hours from Los Angeles. So, you know, we would drive out and see shows and stuff. But I mean, it, this city was not even like a suburb of anything. It was just this remote little city out in the middle of nowhere. So culture was like, you know, especially music stuff for like 10 years behind. It was like a slow trickle out there. So I definitely... You know, I left when I was 18 and then the whole world expanded massively for me. I'm assuming that there's no one else from your town that's kind of expanded their horizons like you have? Not that I know of. Well, actually, one person, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182, he was from that city as well and he, he went to my high school. Amazing. Love that. He's the only person I know of, though. <laughs> I don't think anyone else has. And Dallas, what was your what was your experience? Was it was it kind of smooth sailing into getting into it? Like, what was those formative years of the kind of fifteen to twenty one getting into the uh, the industry? Was it was it hard uh, hard yards or or was it fairly like kind of easy transition to you? No, it was super hard. I'm originally from Columbus, Georgia, and I uh, and I moved to Atlanta when I was thirteen, and to, to try to make it in the in, to be a to basically be a big record producer was my goal. So yeah, it was not easy at all. It was a lot of Trials, tribulations, street stuff. Like it was, you know, we don't. My mom, didn't, we didn't have money, so she was a. She she worked at a soul food restaurant. Just you know, I just kept trying and trying and trying, and then the word got out. By the time I was fifteen and sixteen, I was kind of making records already, and I had met a lady, Joyce Irby, who had a production company, and I signed to her company. She was the group Climax. That was my entrance into having access to real record companies, and so that's when I did. Uh, a group like Troop when I was like 18 and I did the Boys to Men and ABC stuff when I was like 18, 19. 
by the time that stuff took off, then I did TLC right behind it. And my mom was still working at barbecue joints because I was in bad restaurant. I, mean, I was in bad contracts at the time. So it was not easy, but, it was, but once it started to go, then it kind of just caught fire. And then, you know, the records sold a lot of records and we were able to, you know, kind of, I, I was able to turn myself, I guess, into a producer at that point because they always say you're not a producer when you say you are. When other people say, it. <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. So, uh, um, so you owe a lot to your mum, basically. Then, oh yeah, all the times to my mum. Yeah. What was it like moving as a 13 year old to Atlanta? I'm assu- uh, well, I'm, I'm assuming you know it's fully ingrained there, or maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the transitional period. But I guess if you're moving to Atlanta, w- w- did you see the kind of outcast, Goody Mob, and all that, or, or all those guys, Dungeon Family? Did did you see? Well, like we we were, I was going to skating rinks and stuff with Organized Noise, and this was before anybody put any records out. And Jermaine Dupree, all of us are friends before we even started to put real records out. After we did TLC, Another Bad Creation, and Jermaine did Crisscross, then the rest of development came, and it just started opening the doors for everybody else around Atlanta. And after the first Outkast album, which Outkast was supposed to be on my label, on Rowdy, and, uh, and LA ended up putting them on the face, and because we had a partnership. And when you put them on the face, then I said, well, look, I shouldn't be in New York. I should come back to Atlanta. I came back here and found Monica and uh, put her on the label. Then from that point, because the Dungeon Family had started with uh, Outkast, then Giddy Mob, and the rest of the groups were able to kind of come under there, under the uh, Dungeon Family's wing. And so we were all friends, all friends like from the skating rink and from the malls and from the, after I made it, it just kind of opened the door, put a light on Atlanta to say, well, who else is doing it? So I opened the door for, for everybody else to come through at that point. Yeah, that would have been, uh, I guess it doesn't come around too often where there are so many people, so many of those creatives that come together and they're all wanting kind of the same thing. They're wanting, wanting a piece of it, you know? Yeah, and it, it was, Atlanta was new to music. And so once TLC and Another Bad Creation and Boys to Men and all that stuff started going off, then the best and the big artists started calling me to work with them, like Michael and Madonna and Grace Jones and Duran Duran and that it just kind of opened up and I just started working with tons of huge artists, but it was all really for me working with new artists that got me there in the first place, you know. Corey, I wonder, you, you know, if there's a comparison to working with someone as opposed to yourself, you know, you've got Dalco here with, with the two of you, you know, collaborating together. How does it compare working by yourself to, to, to with somebody? Well, I've kind of always preferred the collaborative process First of all, it's just it's more fun for me. I've of course spent countless hours by myself, like honing my craft, and I I still enjoy it. But it's just something about the exchange of energy, and also like having two minds hitting the same kind of creative goal, but from different angles, and working off each other's ideas, inspiring each other through the process. It just to me, it's it's kind of always just been more more of a fulfilling process. And Dallas and I actually, we, we've been collaborating for over 10 years, even though this project, this music project that we, we started on, started recently is, is newer. We, we've worked together for many years. Da- Dallas, like he, he actually signed me when I was really young as a producer and as an artist. And he kind of opened a lot of doors for me and taught me a lot of things. And then we ended up starting kind of a production duo together and producing and writing a lot of records together. And it was like 
just always more fun. And then I think for us, when we decided to do this music project, it just kind of made sense because we had built such a great working relationship with each other and spent so many years doing it for other people that it just kind of made sense for the next step to just to do it as an artist project. So had you worked with, you'd worked with other people before as a, as a duo or a band? Yeah, we worked with Carl uh, Jespin, uh, Will I Am, we worked with Chris Brown, Far East we were, Movement. We, yeah, Far East Movement. We were doing a lot of the, because Corey, you know, he comes from a place where, where before dubstep and all that was cool. He, you know, he was one of the kids that was on that frontier of it and just making, you know, it was a, a real renaissance period where, where music and technology kind of came together and you were able to do stuff with sounds and things you wouldn't able to do before. So he came up in that era. It's like coming up in the underground in a way, you know, and when we started working together, um, I signed into the label as an artist and then we started working as, you know, as a, as a team producing, but I was saying to Corey, hey man, you know, these guys are doing pop records that are taking elements of what you're doing underground and, and they're making big ass records out of it. You know, we should we should make some of these, you know, we should I, I got the clientele, we just need to make the music sound that way and kinda of go for it. So we put our combinations together, what we do in music and it you know, it came out magical and so we, we did those projects that it was really different for for where Corey was coming from. But that's what made the sounds of him and everything else be that different also. Had you seen what the, the music, had you been involved in some of the music that, that Corey had, had done previously, Dallas, or, or was it kind of new to you? Were you just working with hip-hop or R&B artists? Oh, I, I've always worked with all different types of artists. Like, even before then, I was doing you know a lot of stuff in London. So I've always worked with all different types of artists, all different types of music and stuff like that. So when I first met Corey, I didn't really know. When, when I first met him, he was, even though he was doing indie sound of music, he was also doing music that was like, that you would hear and you'd be like, oh, holy shit, is this the same person? You know, he was so versatile and his production and what he was doing, I'd be really impressed by what I would hear. Then when we would work together, you could tell our elements would be the elements of those both things. But it was, even with him, he's, it wasn't that he was just doing EDM. He kind of just went with the times and whatever changed and whatever was more popular and whatever everybody was uh, moving towards. He was like on the forefront of that. So if it was like Moomaton or if it was like, you know, we was doing trap stuff and mixing trap music with house music or, you know, it's always just been on that cutting edge of what's what's next. Kind of like not what it, what is everybody doing, but like what's next, you know. I remember when Dallas like first found me, I was actually playing at one of Steve Aoki's like really small parties in Las Vegas. And this was like early days before, you know, before Steve Aoki was the, this massive, huge DJ, everyone knows, because EDM had not even become a term yet. It was not the, the massive movement yes. that, it, that it has been for the last 10 years. It was just a bubbling thing that was happening in Los Angeles and a couple other cities in America. And we were just like, we had no idea what we were doing. And Dallas he didn't really come from that world at all. He's over in Atlanta and as versatile as he is, it was like a kind of very new thing for him, but he had the foresight to hear it and be like, this is like something new, exciting. And he knew it was going to be huge. I knew it was going to be huge. Then when I moved to, I moved to Atlanta as soon as he signed me and I got exposed to a whole nother world of shit that I didn't know anything about. And it, it was kind of this perfect kind of combination of two, like, misfit worlds that you wouldn't necessarily imagine having fit together before and then it just started fitting together and then as the couple years after that that just became the standard and then 
it got embraced by pop and by commercial radio and everything. And all of those kind of hybrids started happening where EDM and at least electronic underground music started becoming more mainstream and, and being crossed with really big pop artists and stuff. But this was this was all happening before that happened. Yeah, I did wonder that in terms of where you in terms of where you are, like in terms of the locations that you've been, you've you know, you said you grew up in a small town, but then you moved to different places and then you moved to Atlanta when you were signed. How do you think in terms of growing up or growing as an individual in terms of your evolution in music? How do you think that impacts your creativity moving to those different locations? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually have spent a lot of time thinking about this, this exact thing, especially when I was younger, because I would follow like not just what like po was popular and like music trends in general. I was more interested in like the, the evolution of how it got there. And I think that it had a lot to do back in the day with geographics, you know, like where you'd have certain scenes in certain cities that would give birth to a very specific sound. And it kind of was always that way until the birth of the information age. So I think it was a very important thing in the past. And for me, growing up, it was pretty important just because I grew up just kind of pre the, the, we, I had the internet growing up, it was dial up, but we didn't have like SoundCloud and YouTube and Spotify. And like, you know, I, I didn't like MySpace music didn't come out. till I was like in my early twenties. So the, it was like still very much based on like a geographical scene in a city. Like the, like I mentioned before this EDM movement that happened, like, you know, it was just me and a bunch of my friends hanging out at these small nightclubs in LA, like getting influenced by like random things, here and there and try at like making different things happen, but it wasn't, we weren't being influenced. I don't know. It, it, it just was this thing that was happening in LA really. And then the internet kind of happened and it exploded and happened everywhere. And now you can be, a, it's not as much of a factor. Like you, people are in, being influenced all over the planet by something that's happening on the internet. Like it's, I don't think it's much of a, of a, of a thing as it used to be. And, and Dallas, I guess for you in that transcendence is, you think of you think of producers. You don't necessarily think of kind of uh, meek individuals, but you transcend between that back of house and front of house artistry. You've you've been back of house producing, but at, well, front of stage. But now you know you've been you know at the front as well with with bands. How do you find the difference between the two? I mean, I like it. I like I like to have. I, I, when I was younger, I didn't like it as much because I wanted to have longevity, and I felt like if I was out front as much my production wouldn't stay around as long. So I kind of waited, you know, until I felt like I was comfortable with the span of music that I had done. So I, I wouldn't box myself in that way. And so I, love, I like being in bands and I like laying stay, on stage and having the energy from people and, and having, you know, uh, people know songs and stuff like that. It's just that, that energy is great. It's more, you know, obviously it's more magical when you're the person making the songs than it is just performing somebody else's. But, I, you know, it's it's... It's, we look forward to it. We, just, we started when was crazy as all of the stuff that we were doing and we, that we started doing. We started putting it together before we knew anybody knew it was going to be a pandemic. So we're just now starting to really, um, just like everyone else, get get back out and get to playing and get to doing shows and get to putting. I don't want to put. We don't want to have too much of the music out during the pandemic because of the mood of everybody, and then you couldn't really go promote it. And so we're really just ramping up now to to get you know started for what we're about to do. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's, there's a lot of people out there that uh, I'd imagine there's going to be some 
fucking great music coming out of, out of uh, in, in in the next kind of couple of years because uh, people have been yeah. at home. They've been making music. I wondered actually for you, yeah. for you, Corey, as well. Has has the current environment given you that opportunity to make more music and kind of uh, ebb and flow into these different genres or or different types of music that you've wanted to make? Yeah, de- um, definitely. The during during lockdown, the lockdown of 2020. Uh, I think for me and for a lot of people in the music industry, especially being a person that is mostly, I've, you know, I've spent the last several years mostly just focusing on writing and producing for other people and mostly commercial pop stuff. And all the, the whole industry got frozen and all like budgets got frozen, touring got frozen, everything got frozen. And so I found myself with a lot of free time and you know, I still love to make music. So it actually gave me the opportunity to start making music for myself and for just like the, for the sake of making it and exploring new sounds and experimenting stuff that I always try and make time for no matter what's going on in my life. But during 2020, it was like, I had nothing but time to do that sort of thing. And I found, you know, through the year that I got to kind of make more interesting stuff that was just experimental than I have in many, many, many years. And it was very liberating. It felt really good to do that. It kind of reminded me of the importance of, of, of doing it. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess Dallas talking, talking future, future music and the music that's going to be coming out, it would be really remiss of me if I, if I didn't bring up the fact that, you know, you've produced some, amazing albums and I, and I just wondered you know with the TLC album voice to men album specifically how was that working on that and and how was it during that period of time where where they came out and and, and the chaos that would have ensued and after it just being such a great success yeah I mean I knew when we were doing it that it was special sounding stuff because at that time it was nothing else that was like the combinations of what I was putting together on the groups, you know, like using the samples like New York and then writing really good songs on top of chords and stuff. It was just like a real, you know, gumbo at the time. And when we did another bad creation, I knew they were going to be big because BBD was out at the time and they were like a little bit of the vote. And, and then right on the heels of that boys to men was on the heels of them also. So I knew we had, I knew we had the potential we didn't know how big because we didn't even have a reference of what big could be at that time. So we didn't, you know, for us, big was just, hey, we, we got a record deal and it's on the radio and it's on videos on TV. So we didn't have any span of knowing anything about 14 or 15 or 30 million records or anything like that at all. And so when it started to happen, everything got really different just as far as, you know, like hearing your record on a in the in the car and then getting out somebody singing it in the grocery store line or you know it was the the impact of it was great and then working with the artists was great you know we when you work with artists like when you do whole album projects you're just kind of recording the events that's just happening to you and you kind of all bond together and and the vision comes out kind of really coherent you know and that's how both of those projects were we would Really tight. I was a lot tighter with the girls, obviously, because of my involvement with um, with Chile and us having a son, and and me working a lot tighter with TLC. But it was it was it was one of those things that when you're working from like I said, when you're working from scratch with somebody that's new, you feel all the power of it and you feel all of the energy compared to when I work with you know Rihanna or someone like that. 
um, then it's like, you know, I'm not really responsible for her. I'm just there on the project. And so it's just a different feeling. And just for people that don't know, which which albums was it that you that you were producing on? And 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 did, was the was the success instant or was it a progressive uh, thing? It was pretty much instant. We did Ain't Too Proud to Beg first, and so I did the first album. I did the second album and then the fan mail album. And we knew I knew how to grow them from the first one to the second one. Uh, when I did Creep, you know, I knew that people wasn't going to take them as serious because of you know a lot of the clothes and stuff that we were wearing before and. It got attention for us, but, you know, at that time, things just started changing. And so when we did Creep and the video and all that came out, we just knew off the bat. It just took off off the bat. And it was crazy in those times. We'd be more worried about if we're going to sell a million records the first week or 500,000 the first week. And so you see how times have changed. <laughs> that's dra- that a lot more drastic than that now. But in that era, that's just how everything was. I, I feel like feel kind of sorry for people who didn't get to have records out in that era because it's just a totally different feeling not having 40,000 records a day come out as competition for you. Yeah, it really has it has evolved. And what what's the what was the Boys to Men ones that you were working on? I did the the whole the entire first album and then I did the second album also with them. So the one with Motown Philly and then the next one I had Thank You on it. What was it like being around at that time? It would have been quite crazy. And is there is it, what? What are the questions that you kind of get asked most about that period in particular? It's, it's very different, you know. Like you had to have a studio and uh, with with a big enough console, and you had to have keyboards and rack mount keyboards, and you had to have the engine. It was just it cost so much to make a record back then that the artists had to be worth it. And the difference in that now, which is like the question I get the most of the time now, is user-generated content came in and artists started making everything from their Mac. So you just cut it out every you know form of quality control that, that, that was there. And then also you were able to distribute it by hitting a button and get it into MySpace or wherever now to Spotify and everywhere else. So it, you know, it's changed a lot to the tone of the music. I was always scared that Man, music is going to get really sterile and not have any feeling to it. Come, coming from where I come from and listening to funk music and Prince. And, but at that time, I think I got a chance to have the best of both worlds because I was still using a lot of live equipment, but I was still using samples and things like that when it first came in. So it was still very hip-hop, but then still very pop at the same time. And it's just that era, everything felt that way, you know. Corey, I guess I know you've kind of given that nod as well to to, to Dallas's work, and Dallas has done the same for for, for you during this conversation. But I, I wondered what it was like working with someone like Dallas when you first met, and 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 kind of working with him now as well. Still, obviously, when when I first met Dallas, felt like I I was in a a different on a different planet, you know. I uh, especially considering where I had come from, you know, I. I really came from a dirt road and never, I never like, never thought that like music would turn into something super real for me. And then it just kind of started happening really quick, kind of like how Dallas had started happening really fast for him when he was young. It's the same sort of thing happened for me. It happened so fast. And when I, when I found myself in Atlanta with just a whole nother caliber of, of musicians and music industry people and producers all, all around me. I was just, I was just feeling so much gratitude and also like just kind of in awe of the situation, but just really eager to, to soak in every bit of information I could possibly get and learn as much as I could as fast as I could. And, you know, 
still eternally grateful for Dallas opening these doors that he has for me. And I was learning things that I didn't even know I was learning really. Cause he'd like I said, he'd signed me as an artist. And I, at that time had really no aspirations to become like, a, a, like a pop music producer or songwriter or anything. I was, I was just wanted to make cool sounds, you know, and, but being around it, I was learning it. And then I, you know, as the years went by, I ended up just finding that, Oh, this is, I should do this as well. Uh, all the way up into like, I've started my own production company and my own um, publishing company. And I've signed other writers and producers to my company and just like Dallas did to me. And as I made the decision to start doing that, I felt really organic. And I, I felt like I, I kind of had the know-how to do it because of Dallas, you know, being but everything he'd shown me, even though it wasn't something I'd necessarily thought I'd get into. It just, I was the whole time just paying such close attention and watching and these people were teaching me things and it was going in there being stored somewhere. And I was able to apply it later on in my life and kind of follow in, in Dallas's footsteps. Yeah. How do you think you work together, Corey? I think we work together really well. I mean, if you work, if you've been working with somebody as long as Dallas and I have been working together, not a lot even has to be said. It's kind of like yeah. we just know we just know what each other likes and what we want, and we know what each other's strengths are, and we lean on those things, and it's it's just real easy. Um, and I guess your project now that you've got what you're working on is is Dalco, and 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 I wondered what you know you two working together. What what does success look like for for Dalco in terms of where it can possibly go? We really love the music that we make and like and, and putting it in the right environments to get to the right people. So we we definitely want the music to lead it, and then you know we definitely want to go and get into the circuit, continue where it started before uh, the pandemic when we you know starting to do shows, we're starting to play and do interviews, and you know so we want to take it as as many people to hear it as possible. You know we want to we don't want it to be you know, just we don't have underground elements, but we want it to be you know heard by the masses, and so. Dallas and I spent a lot of time making music for other people and making it for the purpose of, of it being successful commercially. And for me, this is an outlet for, for me to, of course, I, I want everything I do to be successful and I want as many people to hear it as possible, but we're not, you know, we're not trying to specifically make music that we know is a, is a sure shot to be commercially successful this is an outlet for us to do what we really want to do and what we love. And of course, with the hopes that it is commercially successful, but it's, you know, my, I'd say my biggest goal would make me happy is if, and this is something we're trying to do, which is create something new in, in the dance world. So we, we've been messing around with a lot of concepts. Some of the stuff that we've released so far, it has fresh elements to it. There's a remix that we did of racks in the middle and that is a little bit of a proof of concept of this kind of new thing that we're trying to create. It's taking the the kind of sad boy, like the sad boy emo rap stuff that's really huge right now, but then meshing that with with house. So different than what like G House has done for the last several years, where you're mixing kind of gangster rap with with house music, and it's more atonal and it's got a lot of like kind of uh, darker energy behind it. We're looking to do something in the same where we're meshing hip hop and house, but in more the melodic elements and more the emotional elements. And, you know, it hasn't hasn't really been done yet. And I see it as like a, I've always Dallas knows this. He said it earlier. I've, I've always just been about like, what's that new, 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 you know, like 
like, <laughs> I just am constantly trying to find like the new thing and be a part of the newest thing. And I think for me, if we, if we create this thing and it, it goes off and we can be looked at as one of the first people to do it. And then we find other people start copying us, then I'll be really happy. That's like, that would be my ultimate goal for this. Well, I interest, interesting you say that as well, um, Corey, as well, because it's, it, you know, as you said, it's similar to what Dallas was saying, you know, when the, the, the record uh, industry or the or the music industry in itself has, has changed a fair bit and you're, you have more access to different people around the, the, the world. And I wondered, you know, finger on the pulse is the US has its own kind of set way of producing kind of high caliber talent it's it's almost a churn and burn industry sometimes and i wonder if there's any left field countries that you feel are coming up again or on the radar for radar for producing good content that's actually getting more airtime in 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 the u.s is there any other countries that are coming up that you're thinking oh uh, it's not just your generic canadian artists or uk artists it's actually other countries are getting involved as well thinking more along the k-pop scene yeah, well, that that's definitely where I was going to go with it. I, in terms of like more like stuff that's happening, like world music that's influencing the underground before I go into the Asian pop thing, because I can talk for the, about that for a little bit. But definitely uh, South African music has been making a like it's trickling way into into American culture music on all fronts and on everything from pop to indie. Same with uh, reggaeton obviously really been making big waves and coming into pop music a lot and a lot of like uh, South American sounds and stuff. But when we talking about K-pop, I actually do a fair amount of work in K-pop and J-pop as well. And I, I, you know, I I had a place in Tokyo for three years, right, right, right up until the pandemic hit. And then I got rid of it because I couldn't go back to Tokyo for the last year. But I, my, my role that I was playing in Japan specifically, I, I was working with this company there and my job was to be like a kind of cultural ambassador because they, Japan, their music is consumed only domestically, the J-pop music. And they, they make, they're the second largest music market in the world in terms of revenue. They make like just behind the United States, which is crazy considering that their music is only being consumed in, in Japan. So Japan you know they, they, that's a point of pride for them but then they also are in this kind of competition with with korea and and k-pop and although k-pop doesn't make as much money as j-pop k-pop is recognized uh, internationally and has been for a while and it's because they've had a big initiative they've been pushing for for decades now to work with american uh, songwriters and songwriters from the west in general in europe and producers as well and they've done a good job at like trying to keep their like their k-pop sound and their k-pop culture but then influenced enough by western um sounds so that it can work into the western world there's been this big initiative to make that happen for a long time and it's just happening for the first time in a meaningful way with like blackpink and bts and because of that you have japan getting getting a little jealous and being like okay we want to do that too so i got hired to kind of help them do that help them bring American sounds, songwriters, producers, make the connections, help them uh, produce these records and develop some of their junior artists and help them potentially expand their sounds in the U.S. That's kind of like a, a whole thing that's that's people are wanting to make happen now. They're seeing the opportunity because they have groups like BTS where the half the time they're speaking in Korean and the other half they're speaking in English 
and half time you can't really understand what they're saying but they're still like having number one hit records on billboard in america which is crazy you know you know latin america and spanish-speaking countries you have spanish songs going number one on billboard now where the, the entire song is in spanish and that's all kind of new as well Dallas, a little bit left field or sidestep for you, I guess, is uh, it's something that I was interested in hearing is and just we're talking about the influence on, you know, from different countries. But I, I wondered I wanted to talk to you about the kind of political songs that that, that come up and how they can impact uh, communities through music. And I'm thinking of the the kind of fella Kuti or, or public enemy, like pol- uh, like real political music. Uh, how do you think music can actually have a, a well a massive impact on on community? Fella Kuti had I think it was over five million people turn up to his state funeral. I wondered how you think music actually impacts uh, community for the better. Music is usually a soundtrack to people's lives, and it can help it and it can hurt it. You know, it just depends on what the message is in the music because music is so powerful, and it's it's so powerful that it also like you know it has your when it comes to communities and, and what's going on in, in the social environment. It, it was one of the only ways to express yourself. When you listen to Public Enemy or Feylog uh, or Goody Mob, for that matter, a Bar Molly for that matter, you know that music will always have a place where it's found. It, it finds itself because of you're always going to have social injustice. You're always going to have bad relationships. You're always going to have a good time somewhere. Those things are all, you know, what what kind of makes people have a way to relate to things in life, you know. So, and maybe another understanding that they're not getting out of the regular situation, the song can help you get another understanding for it, you know. Uh, so I think it's been a huge part of. The communities, you know, that's what really music is, 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 is a soundtrack to what's going on in day-to-day life in the community, you know. Yeah, earlier, we were talking about the technologically uh, te- technology that's evolved as well. Um, and I wondered for you, having both, uh, you know, y- your music now and, and, and you know, back in that scene with TLC and Boys Men, I wondered how music has changed for you in terms of, of technology and how, it's, how music's promoted. I mean, it's amazing for me. I, um, I just started... I just launched my distribution company, DAD. Uh, we can sign a worldwide. It's DIY, you know, do it yourself at home. And I wouldn't have been able to have that kind of platform without technology, you know, allowing kids to load up their music from home and we get it to over 200 DSPs. It's, you know, that from a distribution promotion marketing side has changed a lot. And, you know, having it also from, from having it, Having technology influence the way we write has changed a lot because of having Ableton and having Pro Tools and Logic and all of these things that, you know, things that would take us an hour to do that you can do in you know, 30 seconds now. You know, there's been a big change in the way the music sounds and the way that we put music out also, you know. But without that element of music and technology, if it's done the right way, then everybody should get more out of it. It, it should be more people to hear it. It should be, you know, everything is about being you know a lot of frustration comes out of innovation so i feel like with music period it's just at a point where now it's uh the world is more connected than it's ever been and that's because of technology you can't hear records that's in africa and berlin at the same time they come out you know and it used to be that in order to promote in those markets you would only have to be out in those markets so if Lenny Kravitz was out in Africa, he was out in Africa. If he was out of London, it was London. But it wasn't like you hit a button and it comes out everywhere at one time. So it's totally changed the way we distribute and promote market music. 
It makes me think of that uh, documentary, uh, Searching for Sugar Man, you know, didn't, he wasn't a success in his own country, then moved, he went to another country and, and he didn't even know that the, the music was released and he was he was an absolute success. Man, yeah. funny thing, just a funny little fa- side fact about Searching for Sugar Man, my dad actually grew up with that guy in Detroit and he used to make his flyers for his show for him because my dad was, he was an artist, visual artist. And they just like, they would go to, he'd go to all his shows and they're, they're friends. They just hang out. And then they lost touch decades go by. And then when that documentary came out, uh, NPR was doing an interview with, with, uh, the sugar man guy. And my dad, he tuned in halfway through, but he recognizes the voice instantly. He's like, I know who that is. And he didn't even know about the documentary or any of that. And then, <laughs> He ends up watching the documentary and he's like, that is crazy. He actually has like original vinyl from that guy, like when it, like his very first vinyl he ever made. Wow. Kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy. Bad. And I actually, he played Coachella like that year that that documentary came out because he like was back on the radio, you know, it's a plucked out of obscurity. And I, I was like backstage and I went and knocked on his trailer and I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember my dad. And he totally <laughs> remembered my dad. <laughs> And did yeah. you have you seen the have you seen the 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 other one uh, well of a similar ilk I guess is a band called Death? No, I haven't. It's about a these uh, it, it was these guys that were their whole community were playing Motown and they decided to play uh, like metal or like heavy rock and they were really they didn't kick off obviously that the, the community wasn't uh, didn't want that kind of type of music and then it wasn't until they were they were grandparents that uh, they 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 heard the music and the music came back up and they were a huge success again and that's through technology I guess that that uh, that mm. you get to be a success again. I need to see that. It sounds yeah, you should definitely watch it. It's a good, it's a good documentary. Um, I just wanted to say one thing, by the way, it, it, about the question you asked Dallas a little bit ago, uh, briefly about politics and music. Uh, you know, I when I was growing up, I was like one of those really pissed off like punk rock kids, and I was super into like punk rock that had a political message, and I was all riled up by it. And I was like very like, acute. I was acutely aware of the fact that we and times past decades past there was a, a, an important part of music that was with if an artist felt strongly about something they would use their platform to to talk about it and it created movements and it, it created awareness and it, i thought it was a really important thing and that sort of thing it just doesn't seem to exist on the same level as it has in decades past and I, I'm always having this conversation that with artists that I know, big artists, saying that, you know, this is, I don't know what it is if people are afraid to, like, be too controversial or alienate some portion of their fan base, that people just want to be neutral and just talk about the same content, like the same kind of topics over and over again in their songs and not say anything that's going to stir things up too much. But I, I think that we should be doing that. And I think artists kind of, have a, there should be a sense of obligation or a sense of responsibility they have to to use their platform to talk about issues that are important to them that they think are important to the world and could potentially you know help steer their fan base in the direction of of something and change social change you know we're seeing a little bit of it more so now, like in the last year but i think there needs to be more and anyone listening in the industry I'd push everyone else to do that please 
watch this space. I think Dalco coming out with a, <laughs> a new a new song coming out soon. <laughs> I think uh, the, we're coming to the end of the, uh, the the episode now. It's been great having you guys on. I, I'm, I just wanted to, to end on just the importance of of being able to you know move around and 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 get uh, the music scene back up. And, and Corey, I'll come to you first, and then I'll come to you, Dallas. But um, I just wondered how important the uh, events are to the music scene and how detrimental it is when you can't have the festivals or the venues open. That's kind of a nice segue for us because there's that's something we're doing actually with events in the events events world that we wanted to plug anyways. But uh, it's hugely important. Everybody missed it so much, and I I think live music is it's always going to bring an entirely different experience and and like uh, and level of engagement than the internet can provide, you know, and the radio can provide, and it creates community and creates excitement and it creates good business. It creates lots of revenue for the artists who need the money, you know, and it's, I'm glad it's coming back up online and I'll just use that to segue this thing that we're working on right now. Uh, Dallas and I are, we're, we're in the process of starting our own party night, our club night. And we're, we're, it's an experience. It's we're, we're, we're kind of, it's kind of like a Dalco and friends situation where we have a lot of friends in the music industry and we're just asking them to come play with us um, we're doing our first one at uh, the, this new event space in Las Vegas called Area 15. If you're not familiar with it, it's it's a it's a very different kind of place. It's like a digital arts museum, giant warehouse inspired by Burning Man, and insane art installations everywhere. It, it incorporates technology. They have VR rooms and arcades and all these crazy things. So we're we're going to be curating our 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 party night there at the end of this month on the 30th with Destructo. He'll be um, co-headlining with us, and we're we're kind of doing this as a test run there, and we're looking to, you know, bring this around to other cities and other other venues around. So if there's any um, people that have venue spaces around that are listening, and you're looking to have a new kind of experience brought to your your space, give us a give us a shout. That's great, um, and and that's a really good a good way to, to to get people back out and 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 into these events and spaces. And Dallas, I wonder for you um, how important events are to the music scene, and how detrimental it is to you to have festivals or venues uh, not open, really. Seriously detrimental to music because you couldn't promote, you couldn't feel the music, you couldn't, you know, it was horrible for artists who had new stuff out also because you couldn't get people to know them. So it's you know the live performance element is. I think people are going to feel like even more how important it is now because they've already been locked up for so long. And it's just, as I see people out at things, they're having so much more fun than they were having before, it looks like. Dalco, Dallas Austin and Corey Enemy, it's been great uh, having you on and uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to to have this conversation and um, really wish you the best of luck. And, and if people are looking for new music and, and want to want to listen to Dalco, where, where would they be able to find you? We're on format Spotify, over 200 different platforms. So, uh, yeah, just go to your favorite service and uh, check us out. We've launched a couple different things, but because of COVID, we kind of held back because we're a brand new project. But now things are opening up, so we're about to we're about to start releasing a lot more music. Dallas and Corey, uh, it's been great speaking to you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.